Well, good evening everyone. It's great to see you. I was reading this week about a man in London and he was always praising the Lord for something. And uh, during the war, the Luftwaffe bombed his house and got absolutely blitzed and obliterated. And they were saying, what will he say now? He was standing looking at this crater and this pile of rubble that had been his house. And he looked at it and he said, I always wanted a basement. <laughs> that was quite good. Uh, I don't know that if he was a, a Scotsman or not, but he was a, a living in London. And that's what he said. We've been in holiday. We're in uh, Jersey and Guernsey and Sark for nine days and we enjoyed that very much um, but you know God is good we're able to encourage one another and uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage you tonight with this wonderful passage of scripture from Philippians chapter 2 if you have it there we'll read the first 11 verses and this will warm the cockles of our heart to read Philippians 2 the headline is imitating Christ's humility if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like minded having the same love being one in spirit and purpose do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father oh isn't that a purple passage it's funny how when, uh, when it's frosty weather you put on a warm fire and there's two good examples of this in the New Testament letters of Paul uh, at Colossians they had a lot of problems with heresy, with false teaching coming in and um, in writing that letter in Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15 onwards Paul puts on a big fire it's a wonderful account of the, the, the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ there in, Philippi, in Colossians 1 and in Philippians 2 there seems to be a lot of dissension in the church there's two ladies that he mentions specifically uh, if I can find them uh, chapter 4 I think it was 
I, verse 2 of chapter 4, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help those women who've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. There seems to have been a bit of trouble um, of disunity among the believers. And that can happen quite a lot in church life. Uh, here in Philippians 2, here's a fire, here's a problem. Uh, and the, the fire is the, the wonderful truth that Paul presents to them in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, something that will warm the cockles of their heart, something that will get them together. And uh, I'm just going to go through the chapter. Um, I'll give an expositional sum- summary of this passage. Um, the blessings of union with Christ, encouragement, comfort, fellowship and tender concern should lead to a spiritual unity of purpose, which results in humility. Conceit and selfishness are inappropriate in such a behaviour pattern. Such loving interest should reproduce a Christ-like attitude. Um, Christ Jesus had as his innate characteristic an essentially divine nature. Your mindset, he says in verse 5, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He regarded his equality as son with God the Father as neither to be reached out for because it was already within his grasp, nor to be selfishly clung to as his personal prize. Um, he had to share his, his characteristic um, amongst his disciples and followers. His real humanity is seen in the self-emptying sacrifice of divine qualities in order to assume genuinely what was essentially a servant nature. He submitted temporarily to an earthly lifestyle. Jesus, who lived above the sky, the old Baptist hymn says, came down to be a man and die. The glory of his character shone out in two great voluntary acts, self-humiliation and obedience to death. Unlike the rest of us, for whom death is a necessary consequence and penalty for our human sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. The extension of his love is seen in the extent of his love is seen in his voluntary submission to death on a cross, a criminal's punishment to Romans and anathema to Jews who regarded a crucified victim as coming under God's curse. God the Father has authenticated Christ Jesus by resurrection and ascension and has granted him the name Lord capital L O R D to grace his exalted manhood. The great acts of Jesus mean that his human name forms the basis for universal confession, not merely acknowledgement of his lordship, whether under grace or under judgment. Um, Confessing Jesus either willingly or unwillingly. Um, The passage which began with Christ Jesus sharing the glory of the Father ends with human beings enhancing that glory by confession and human lips that every knee should bow to him and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's a summary of the whole passage, right? Back to the beginning again, um, we'll talk about the call to humility. Paul's joy as a Christian is independent of circumstances. Now I was in Berlin today and uh, 
It's a big place, but it's a crowded place. I think it was built for about 800. And it's about 1,200 in Berlin just now. And Paul was a prisoner. Now, he didn't have a colour telly and access to the internet or anything like that. Um, it, was, it was really not a joke to be in prison in those days. And yet the first chapters, full of his joy in the Lord, and the whole letter is permeated with the theme of joy. I think 14 times in the letter... He talks about joy, rejoicing and so on. And he talks about his chains as a part of God's purpose for him in his life. And so here in this passage, he's calling them to humility. He's addressing the church division potentially present in disagreement between church members. And calls them to humility. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes Paul says, look, if they agree with one another, if they do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And don't be so taken up with your own interests that you forget the interests of others. Anyway, but we've got to consider other folk and their interests as well as your own interests. That's the call to humility. Now the criterion of humility is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about attitude or mindset. Your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He says, display Christ's gospel. And some folk think, this is, this is this passage 5 to 11, verses 5 to 11, are an early Christian hymn. And there are some early Christian hymns possible in the Bible. Colossians 1 is another one. And 1 Corinthians 15, some folk think, is a kind of confession in rhyme of Christian faith. Um, maybe it's a, a, a song. Um, my uh, theology tutor, um, Ralph Martin, got a PhD for a thesis in verses 5. To be living. And songs are very important to us. You know, songs are a, a main feature of revival. When God revives his church, there's a, an outburst of singing usually. If you think of Charles Wesley, you know, he sang what? He wrote about 6,000 hymns. <laughs> uh, and I was interested, I don't know if you watch. Uh, there's a program, a quiz program on at tea time. We watch it while we're having our tea called uh, The Chase. You know him? And there's a guy in it, he leads it, a man called Bradley Walsh. And he happened to mention this week that some American singer had sung the piece of music that he regarded as the favourite piece of music that he'd ever heard. And uh, you know what it was? Pass me not, O gentle saviour. Hear my humble cry, while in others thou art calling, do not pass me by, Saviour, Saviour. It's a terrific song. And I, I'm surprised, you're surprised when someone on television it openly confesses that the, the best piece of music he's ever heard is a song about Jesus. Isn't that good? Well, here's a wonderful song about Jesus, and it's uh, there, there from verse 5 to 11. Where, uh, verse 6 to 11 um, where Paul talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and he talks about him in various ways um, <clears throat> he, he expressed 
himself and his self-emptying, selfless humility. How, when people couldn't read and didn't have books in the, the 18th century, uh, you've got so many uh, Christian hymns that they expressed Christian truth that the Wesleys uh, promulgated when they spread the gospel throughout the country. John Wesley was the last person in this country to see revival throughout the whole country uh, on horseback you know he went all over the place he never weighed more than 8 stones in fact in one place they were, they were going to beat him up and pull his arms off and he had to run for his life in an open air meeting and there was a big fella took sympathy on him and gave him a puddy on his back and the two of them ran together and this big fella ran through a river uh, with John Wesley on his back and he was delivered but John Wesley, he not only preached a lot he also was very interested in Christian hymns and he found a Christian hymn as a way of uh, encapsulating Christian truth think of some of the hymns that you have, there's a wonderful hymn that John Wesley translated extended on a cursed tree be smeared with dust and sweat and blood, see there the king of glory, see sinks and expires the son of God, who who my saviour this hath done who could thy sacred body wound, no guilt thy spotless heart hath known, no guile hath in thy lips been found isn't that a marvellous thing I, I alone have done the deeds. Tis I thy sacred flesh have torn. <coughs> I caused the holy Lord to bleed. Pointed the nail and fixed the thorn. <laughs> Wonderful truth encapsulated, encapsulated in a song. There was one they used to sing in uh, uh, Redemption Hymnal, not Redemption songs. By the cross of Jesus standing. A beautiful hymn. And there are some hymns that just capture things for us. And here's, here's this wonderful hymn. The content of it is a call to focus on Christ continually. Hence the present continuous tense of your attitude. The New International Version says your attitude should be. There's no verb in the second part of the verse. So we have to supply some part of the verb to be. For example, which was also in Christ Jesus. Or some link up um, to the first part of the verse which repeats its sense. Relating the mindset to the church rather than the Lord. Have this mindset among yourselves which you have as those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the content. And he talks about in verse 6, Christ's unselfish action. His unselfish action. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be, to be reached out for. He already had it. It was within his grasp. So he didn't fight for it and struggle for it and, and strive for it. Uh, this was his inborn attitude and so um, there's a contrast uh, between the continuous being expressed in the present participle who being originally is the idea in very nature God and he didn't have to um, once he gained it hold it selfishly to, to himself he spread um, his glorious um, divine nature 
as an encouragement to his followers to have that mindset. Equality with God was neither an objective to stretch out for like an opportunist like Adam or Lucifer, but uh, and it wasn't a privilege to be selfish, selfishly retained for himself. Christ's unselfish action, verse 6. Verse 7, Christ's servant heart, he made himself nothing. The whole idea of it, oh, it's, it's a wonderful verb, I can notice. It means he emptied himself. It means he made himself nothing. It means literally, crudely, he stripped himself off. You know, like uh, someone uh, in an athletic contest, a footballer getting ready for the game, or stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> it was wonderful. Um, he emptied himself. What did he give up? Well, you think about it. He gave up his riches. Well, though he was rich, Paul says elsewhere in Corinthians, he, for you he became poor. Consider the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Did he give up his riches? Well, he certainly did in terms of his material possessions. Um, as a, a member of a household, where the first up would be best dressed, he had six brothers and at least two sisters. Um, and uh, he knew what it was. He could talk about patched clothes. Maybe our Lord had patched clothes. And some of us have never had patched clothes. Jesus maybe had patched clothes. He spoke about how you, how you fix a garment that's been torn. He knew all about it. And how wonderful. What did he give up? His glory? Well, only occasionally his glory shone through to a great degree. And at the Mount of Transfiguration... Uh, he shone, he, his, his glory shone through in his physical expression. Um, the glory, he could say to his uh, hearers once, Which of you convinces me of sin? And nobody could rebut that, nobody could speak against that, because he, he lived a glorious life, although he was an ordinary carpenter. He gave up omnipresence in, in a sense. He was uh, geographically limited to Israel. Somebody wrote a book once called Why Jesus Never Wrote a Book. You know, uh, the stuff like that. Um, he, was, he was there. He was, he separated, did he separate from sin? Well, the master of all became the servant of all and yet remained master, Hendrickson says. He took the form of a servant, um, the morphe, the, the shape, the outward appearance of a servant while retaining the essential nature of God. What a wonderful saviour we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were some scholars, was Joachim Jeremias, another German bloke, Zimmerle, Walter Zimmerle. And uh, Joachim Jeremias wrote a book called The... The central message of the New Testament. Sorry, that was Jeremias. This other one was the meaning of the word servant in Scripture. And they came up with a wonderful definition. A servant is someone who is at the disposal of someone else. Well, you knew that all along. <laughs> but they produced a big tract on it. Um, it's probably about that thick. Uh, 
the student Christian movement a tract on a servanthood. A servant is someone who is at the disposal of someone else. You know, I remember telling a class in history um, about what it was like to be a slave in the Middle Ages and back in the Roman times that your master could snap, snap his fingers and you had to get him a goblet of wine in the middle of the night or anything like that, you know. It was awful. And the Lord Jesus, he took the form of a servant. He made himself nothing. He, he stripped himself off of some of the outward trappings of deity. And he took the very nature of a servant and he was made in human likeness. Human likeness. I often wonder what the Lord actually looked like when you see the representations of him in film and television he's usually a skinny malink uh, he's usually a kind of weak person but yeah well, I often think he was a carpenter carpenters quite often have got big muscular hands he was a carpenter and he took the form of a servant and being found in appearance as a man it was his sacrificial offering he humbled himself. Humility is an interesting quality. It's not listed in Galatians 5, 23. There's no, no humility there. It's not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Humility is an obligation. Humility is a necessity if we recognize our standing in, before God. Humility is not something we can pray for, particularly it's something we have to do as a natural outcome of who we are in the light of who God is. Humility. He humbled himself. The Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death. For us, death is a necessity. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 um, And so... He became obedient to death. For him, death was not a necessity. It was not the natural outcome of a sinful life. He could have he claimed uh, exemption from death, but he didn't. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. His true humanity was self-evident to any observer at any time. Three times, twice in the gospel, once in the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Um, and there's an interesting variation in the way, the way that's expressed. In one case, it's loud crying. In the other place, it's silent weeping. And in the, the Hebrews reference, is a combination of the two that... Um, <clears throat> with strong crying and tears it says they're both combined in the, Hebrew refer- in the Hebrews reference the Lord Jesus Christ self-humiliated and he became obedient unto death and an intensely painful death invented originally in the country we now call Iraq we think the Romans were like the Japanese a great copying uh, of other people's customs and behaviour and it was the most vile form of death ever invented by the twisted mind of man 
um, there was so much suffering involved um, that you don't see the lovely crosses that you see in churches and beautiful pieces of carved polished wood um, they told us in Israel that most likely it was a bit hacked off a tree with branches going in odd directions and so whoever was fixed to that was in grotesque position and then the cross would be slammed into a socket and the first thing that would happen is that both shoulders would be dislocated you know the person who was crucified probably his, his shoulders were dislocated and the intelligence on the cross he wagged his head and somebody said the reason he did that was that was the only bit of his body that he could move to get some relief and they made a fool of him, they passed him by and as they passed him by they wagged their heads saying oh, he said he would you know, come alive again in three days and come down from the cross and they made a fool of him and he was actually in agony and, and also there was a tremendous blood loss for the Lord Jesus because um, one of the biggest sources of our blood is in our heads we've got brains, we've all got brains we've got a brain, you know that and <laughs> we've all got brains and there's a tremendous um, interlacing of our veins and arteries in our head those that, I don't know about this, I mean, my, I'm right out of my depth here because uh, I don't know much about the human body. I know we're a bundle, a, a plumber's nightmare, is how I would put it. Um, but I can't explain what happens, but I do know there's a tremendous blood loss because I've seen the thorns. Uh, when I was in Israel, I looked for the thorns and I saw them were horrible. And uh, the Lord Jesus went through all that for us self-humiliation, obedience and an intensely painful death um, that's his sacrificial offering his unselfish action his servant heart, his sacrificial offering and then verses 9-11 to his glorious exaltation therefore because he went through all that for us and because we should live accordingly in a, a lifestyle and mindset that, that follows that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We were singing about it, weren't we? It's a few minutes ago. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, I'm, I'm writing just now. My eyes are sore. I've been doing that much writing the last few weeks. I was off for four weeks. Um, when I was pre- I haven't I didn't preach for four Sundays. That's the first time in sixteen years. And <laughs> I took to writing. I'm writing a book which is going to be daily Bible readings, you know, thought for the day kind of thing. I'm I'm making I'm taking care everywhere I, I use an old testament reference to the Lord, I put capitals in. And I I also do that Give the Lord Jesus capital, a capital letter for he and him, anywhere uh, I'm writing. I don't see that in books, I don't even see it in Bible translations. But I've always felt an urge to do that when I was writing. So I was writing, uh, Lord, L-O-R-D, that's the name mentioned here. The Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he takes up all the titles that were given to God in the Old Testament. Every time you read about the, the Lord in the Old Testament... 
It's the name Yahweh in Hebrew. They think that's the right uh, vocalization of the letters. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, the Lord. Um, And it's a wonderful name. It was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And it's it's a name of God's creative power. Yahweh, the one, there's a Jewish translation of it, the one who brings into being everything that existed. Um, It's a name of creation. It's a name of crisis because in Exodus 3, Moses is told by God that he's with him in every crisis, the I am in every situation. And so it's a name of, of creation and crisis and covenant. It can be relied on any time God is faithful to his promise. Um, it's a faithful saying, Paul says in First Timothy 1.15. A faithful saying, here's a faithful saying, and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so there's this drama of redemption which unfolds um, because God raised him from the dead he ascended into heaven uh, and he shares the throne with God Ephesians 1.20 and the drama of redemption unfolds in the theatre of his exalted human nature he assumes in reality the name and character of Yahweh the God of the Old Testament name with the capital letters and here Paul expands the application of Isaiah 45:23. And if you don't mind, I'll look that up. I don't even know what it is. It says, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. And so Paul expands this application. And he says, Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And I've got down here, Act of confession rather than submissive acquiescence is the keynote. This will intensify the outshining of the light of God's glory. And there are folk who will confess him willingly and folk who will confess him unwillingly when the day comes in the Christian calendar the next great event is the coming again of the Lord Jesus there was a resurrection, there was the ascension and there's a return of our Lord as the next event in God's wonderful calendar and so tonight it's been a great privilege for me to unfold to you uh, this wonderful chapter of the Philippians chapter 2 so thank you very much, let's pray together oh God our gracious Father we thank you for this day for the gift of it for those we've met in it and what we've had to say about our wonderful Lord today and we thank you oh God that you sent him into the world and that he calls us to have the lifestyle and the mindset of our Lord Jesus help us this week with those whom we meet that we might be able to give a a good representation of who the Lord Jesus is and what he wants from people 
and we thank you for the fellowship of your people here and pray for your continued blessing on them. Hear our cry in Jesus' name. Amen.